Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. Welcome back to ReChurch. This is Marshall Fant. Got some special guests with us again this week. Dave and Claudia Barber, welcome. Good to be here. Yeah, I love I love these two. The, several reasons. Number one, I've never told them this, but when I think of of Dave, I think of Claudia, I think of De Claudia, I think of Dave. So I think of ministry, I think of teams, and they are a true team. So thank you for your testimony in that. I think it's just wonderful that God used both of you together and both separately in different ministries. So, okay, introduce yourself, uh, Dave. Tell everybody, our listeners, in case they don't know who you are, uh, a little bit about y'all and what you do. Okay, dokie. I'm Dave Barba. This is my wife, Claudia. We have been married almost 50 years. We're getting close. Been in ministry the whole time. Started our ministry many years ago. 1974, planted our church, our first church. Been in church planting really all these years. Now, what state was that? Okay, that was in Falls Baptist Church, Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Uh, Yeah, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. So we kind of moved up to North to be missionaries. And the Lord put us up there. And we had a wonderful 12 years. God worked in spite of us, built the church. After 12 years, God called us into full time evangelism. And the Lord worked, helped us to find them a pastor for that church, and he is still there. Mm. Uh, Wayne Van Gelderen Jr. recorded being with him in a couple of years for the 50th anniversary. We're still here, and the rapture hadn't occurred. Amen. We were in evangelism for about, oh, let's see, nine years, pulling a fifth wheel, raising our kids, preaching meetings, and having a wonderful time in the U.S. and a number of foreign countries including, I don't know, Germany, Puerto Rico, Mississippi. I mean, really foreign countries. We had a great time. And after that, about nine years, God began to press me and said, hey, Dave, look, evangelists do more than just encourage churches week to week. They also plant churches in the New Testament. Yeah. And God, in my heart, plant another church. So we canceled a bunch of meetings, went off the road, and planted Trinity Baptist Church in Franklin, Tennessee. That's a suburb of Nashville. Yeah. We were there for six years. Great time, but it was a tough time in our ministry. Mm. Tough season, a different environment, different time of of history in planting a Baptist church in a city that had over 800 Baptist churches. Wow. Yeah, during that time, God gave us a burden to help young couples plant churches. And we left Trinity Baptist Church, helped them find the pastor for we left, hit the road, back in the fifth wheel, did deputation for about a year and a half. And since 2001, we've been helping young couples and not so young couples plant churches Amen. in the United States. All right. And so the I name know. of your ministry now is... Press on ministries. Press right? on ministries. Yeah. Yes. Got it. Got it. I forgot. You got a radio station. You got a podcast. Claudia's written a book. So briefly tell us what that's about. Well, when we planted Falls Baptist Church, God immediately put us on the air. Mm. Tremendous station, VCY America. Okay. And it's still there. It's grown and exploded. 
So for 12 years, I was on the air three times a week. Wonderful time, drive time, 5.50 to 5.30. And how we go forward many years later, and just several years ago, God said, look, why don't you do it again? Get mm. back on the air. Things have changed. You can make those broadcasts on the road or at home in a little studio. Yeah, sure. So God put us on the air, and we now have a broadcast that's basically through VCY America and a number of other Christian stations. I guess about 70 or so FM stations, coast to coast, and of course, streaming worldwide. Recently added the podcast. I don't know what I'm doing with the podcast, but that's uh, part of the right. course. None of us do. Working. Just welcome. Enjoy it. All that stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? right. It's, all right. So, fun. Claudia, tell us your book. What is your book? I spend quite a bit of my time writing um, yeah. Bible studies for women. Four published by the BJ Press, Journey Forth Press. I'm also recently um, published one of my own. You can find those on Amazon. Just enter my name and um, Bible studies. I've also written a book for pastors or ministry wives called mm -hmm. The Monday Morning Club. Yep. It's a collection of emails that I sent up over the years. It's encouraging, supposed to help you feel less lonely and uh, keep a sense of humor. There we go. And, <laughs> about what we're yeah, and that leads into the topic of this podcast. So, the, so when I contacted Dave and Claudia, I wanted to ask them several questions. Number one is where we want to go with this for our discussion. So as you have traveled, and Dave, I'll let you go first. So what would be two or three or four common challenges, opportunities, problems you see in churches today, and then where we'll go with that. So what is the biblical solution that you have seen? I mean, Titus says, you know, Paul told Titus to set the things in order that remain. So what do you see remaining that needs to be set in order in some of these churches? So just back and forth, what would be a common problem, brother, that you see pastors pastors, churches facing in today's culture? Well, just speaking from what we see and what we have seen over the last few years, I think a problem difficulty in our fundamental circles is what I would call tradition is king. Mm. Somebody has to be king. Something has to be king. And I think if we're not careful, we're so tied into traditionalism that we're not really willing to make some changes. Folks are afraid of changes. Changes can lead to compromise, but they don't have to. All right, repeat that. Changes, what, what was that quote? Changes can lead to compromise, but they do not have to. Okay. I mean, think of the changes in, uh, in the English language in the last yeah. years, uh, semantics. Think of changes in technology. It's amazing what we can do now. And folks are afraid of change, and I don't blame them. Now, specifically, when we talk about traditionalism, I'm thinking, number one, what you might call hymnolatry. You know, it's a form of idolatry. I yeah. think that this hymnal is uh, inspired. And if I don't sing from the hymnal, then I'm not being loyal to the Lord or fundamentalism, et cetera. All right. So, no, so wait. I'm, All right. Stop, stop, stop. We're going to talk back and forth. All right. So, there's some that don't know you. All right. So, you have a music background. Sure. Okay. You play yes. instruments. All right. You sing, y'all do all this. So you're not speaking as an observer. You're speaking as someone that actually does this, right? Well, and you're, sometimes we're not doing the music and we're just watching. Right. But what I'm saying, you're speaking from personal experience as a musician, as a pastor, mm -hmm. and as people trying to help churches. Okay. I just wanted to throw that in there. Okay. Go ahead, brother. 
Sure. I was trained in classical violin and I played acoustical guitar and a little bit of banjo. If you do it right, you got to be careful. With that. <laughs> and a little bit of, little bit of brass. I love to sing. I have a CD that's produced and used on the road for years. So yes, I love music. It's part of my life. And it's true that the most important part of the worship service is the preaching of the word of God. We know that. But it is also true that we're commanded to speak to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I have seen the blessing of taking the words, putting them up the front of the auditorium on the screen. And folks now are looking at the song leader who has a responsibility to keep them together, to, to have vitality, to even help yeah. them sing with knowledge. When they do that, it indeed builds a spirit of the presence of God. Uh, Old Testament brought the press Shekinah into the temple, even with the musicians. So that's one problem I see. We're tied into tradition with saying, oh, I've got to have the hymnal. And there, there's a balance. You can put the words up on the screen and still hold the hymnal. You can do both. Yeah. And we have done yeah. it in churches we don't plan. Sure. Sometimes when I'm singing and the song leader says, we're going to sing number 237, we may as well just be singing 237, 237 for all that we think about it. Because we're not introduced to the song as a song, but as a number and verses one, two, and four. Yeah. I get tired of, although these are my old friends, you know, these hymns I've loved all my life. It surprises me when I really think about what I'm saying because I've sung it so often. So do we really engage in worship? I mean, I'm not talking about worship just in music, but are really coming to be engaged in the service or as you just said, go through a routine. Would you say that's the number one problem you see? To put it bluntly, you're in a lot of churches that are dying, not because of your ministry, but you're there to help rescue them. We love to kill them. That's fun. I know. That's why we're there. They weren't having trouble. Yep, yep. So I've been accused of the same thing. Every every church you go in, closing. So what's the problem? So my question is, and this is unscripted what I'm about to ask you. So is that a symptom? If it's a symptom, what's the bigger problem? Oh, yes, it is a symptom. The big problem, I believe, is, as I mentioned, we're tied into tradition. We we lift tradition up above simple truth. Uh, Paul was willing to become all things to all men. And we can do that without compromise. Okay. And this, I'm not giving you the great solution to building the church all of a sudden if you put away the hymnals. However, it does indicate a spirit. Another symptom would be, oh, we can't get rid of these pews because, you know, my little grandson got saved in this pew. Praise the Lord that he did. Or my granddaddy built these pews in this barn. And the problem with that is whether we want to admit it or not, we are in competition with mega churches who are now seeking to meet the needs that people think they have. Right. They I'll feel better if I go to church. And what makes me feel better? Sensual music, just like it does when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. What makes me feel better? Feeling like I'm in a movie theater, you know, rather than sitting in a pew. So if we can get beyond that and say, look, let's have comfortable seating. Let's have music that is not sensual, but it's right. alive. Right. And there's like. And, and there's that sense of working with the competition that we're competing. All right. I think a lot of pastors that don't know music, that's where they're uncomfortable. Say so you have great freedom because you can play instruments, you read music, you got 
enough years on your experience side to know where the wrong decision will take you, you know, if you cross over that edge. So there is that line. Let me put it this way. So your contact information will be in the show notes. Okay. So our listeners, if you got questions, follow up. But I think the reason, again, we're having this and the reason Dave and Claudia are someone we can discuss this with is because of their experience and age and consistency with staying true to basically our stripe of Christianity. All right, so I want to say that for those that don't know you and for pastors who may not be able to discern what you just meant by music being alive versus a radical change in worship style, okay, because there is a difference here. I think in, in my mind, it's even the order of service. You know, you could go to different fundamental churches on the same Sunday morning and they're on the same second song and then offertory. And then I, I wonder sometimes if we cannot just rearrange yeah. when when we do yeah. things. And um, I was in a church one time where we stood and sang as we passed the offering plates. I was amazed at the difference it felt. Or, or we sang as the elements were passed for the Lord's Supper. It touched my heart because it was fresh and there was no compromise there. But I'm sure there are people in the pews that felt the pastor was gone liberal because he oh. decided different. That's that's hard. Um, and I think that's contributing to the deadness in churches. Well, one illustration of that, I was talking to a young pastor that went into a church that had greatly declined. And he had talked to them up front about what he wanted to do several changes, but he would stay he wasn't going to make any radical change for at least two years. Okay. And so they had their first service and a man came up to him, livid. Don't make radical changes. Take yeah. your time. Yeah. I know. Well, you see. but, but here's what his illustration was. He said, you made a change and you said you weren't going to change. He said, wait a minute. What did I do? He said on the last hymn, we only sing the first and the last stanza and you sang three stanzas. So you've already started changing the church. Because we ain't never done it that way. Anyway, that's just an illust- a, a, a crazy, but a true story of how people view that. Okay, go ahead, brother. I'm sorry I interrupted you. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking here, if I was to plant a church again, and I'm too old to do that probably, but if I was to do that, I'm thinking, what would I have in that room that people would be able to worship biblically, enjoy the worship, and yeah. be convicted if need be, and want to come back? And I would think, Music that's alive, a service that's not really predictable, so they just are focusing on the platform when they sit down, and the folks on the platform are really directing the worship. And here is probably the most important, biblical preaching that is applicable and illustrative. We have seen in the last 20, 25 years a good shift in the Method of preaching, we're, we're expositors, right. and that's wonderful. There's no sin in uh, no sin in topical preaching. We know that, or textual right. preaching. But the power of exposition is what builds people. We know that. However, I think we have so overreacted to the criticism of being stupid fundamentalists that now we're so erudite. We are so organized in, in our expositional presentation that we've lost our passion. People in the pews need to hear more than well-organized, alliterated, expository sermons. They need to hear it from a man who has been with God, who knows God, who has a passion to emblazon the name of Jesus Christ across the sky until he dies. Mm. So what I'm saying is simply 
Exposition can kill, and it has killed some churches. I preach it. I use it like a planted church. I do it just like I did in Menominee Falls. Preach right. to the next verse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But what you're saying is as you do expository preaching, there's got to be the application, the illustration versus a lecture. Absolutely. I want to know when I walk out the door, what am I supposed to do with yeah. what you told me this yeah. morning? So, I'm supposed to live it. And, and many times right. that's lacking. Okay. So what is the so next I step of faith? Notes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Claudia. I was just saying, I've, I've got great notes. I know what it says, but. Right. That's only part my, of it. What it says. my to-do list for yeah. the week. There you know? go. There you go. Okay. So you got preaching that, that reaches to the heart. I mean, expository, I'm with you. Prepared messages. Mm-hmm. But preaching, moving with passion versus simply a lecture. Okay. All right. So we've got music that is fresh. We've got uh, preaching that applies with illustrations, what it looks like, as Claudia says. What am I to do with it next week? What would be another? Training the people to come to church with a mission. And that mission is to encourage somebody, whether it be your friend that you see every week <laughs> or the visitor that walks through the door. When a visitor walks through the door of the church for the first time, he's probably not thinking, what's the music like? What yeah. Bible translation do they use? No. Uh, no. What can, no, he's thinking this. Does anybody here like me? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, think about Facebook friends. How many friends do you have? Yeah. They're going to, so people need to be trained that they're coming to church to worship God and honor God and be strengthened, but they're also worshiping God when they're translating and they're living out the heartbeat of Jesus Christ and that souls other people. Yeah. So people need to be constantly encouraged with programs, with teaching to greet the new people and say, this is my response. So just practicing the one another's and I'm convinced of this and Dave, I'll ask you to comment on it. And I did a podcast, um, about really preparing for guests on Sunday morning with your preaching, with your praying, praying, and with your preaching, and also with your training of people. So what would just be a couple of things? Let's just say, you know, somebody's listening to this, they're not a pastor, and they're saying, wow, what he just said, okay, I remember when I came to a church, okay, so a lot of these people have never visited a church, right? So you got church members been in the same church 30, 40 years. What would just be a couple of things as a church member, and Claudia, you can comment on this as well. So what would just be a couple of things a church member should do when they see somebody they don't recognize? Go to them, what else? How do you introduce yourself? All right. I have a whole seminar on this called Small Talk. (laughs) Training training mostly us shy people to to greet a stranger. A key is this. Ask questions and listen ask questions. Most of us, including me, you know, we're so self-centered that uh, if you tell me about the fish you just caught last week, I'm thinking about the big fish that I caught that I'm going to tell you about the minute you stop talking. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's not a conversation and that's self-centered. So I'd say to people, learn to do what Jesus did so much in the New Testament. He asked questions, ask questions. Oh, wonderful. Sir, what do you do for a living? We have a memorized list I use all the time. My first three questions. What am I going to say when I walk to you? It takes the fear away. And what are those three and, questions? Or what would be? Well, where are you from? Where are you folks from? Especially in the uh, South, yeah, right? 
Oh, yeah, I have eight million. There you Especially go. in a retirement community where we are right now. All right. So, <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, so, all right, go ahead. So where are you from? What do you do for a living? Okay. Or tell me about your family. family. Tell me about your family. Not introduce your family. You've already gotten to know the family because you start off by shaking hands, telling them who right. you are with a smile on your face. Like a little kid, you kneel down, get down at his level. How you doing? Tell me about your family. And then just be willing to listen. Especially if that person's clean. alone, right? I mean, it's one thing when a, when a family walks in. But yeah. when a person comes in by themselves, those questions, tell me about you. You may find out recent widow, widower, no one's in the area, and all of a sudden, okay, here's a great opportunity for all the one and others to be practiced, right? Right. Okay. You're gathering information, and also you're really starting the pastor's invitation, mm. if he still gives invitations, you know. Uh, you are, if they respond to you, they're responding to somebody in this strange church, you know? Yeah. And then when the time comes and the pastor has met their needs and challenges and says, how about you? Do you need to pray more? Then you're really beginning there. And, and that's really the love of God that we're, we're commanded to give to folks that come through the door. So that's just a few. If you want the entire seminar, check out my <laughs> website, www.ipressone.com. Uh, you got it. I've walked into hundreds of churches in my lifetime, you know, in evangelism and even right. now. And every time I go into a new church, I feel scared. Yeah. You know, it's the most uh -huh. natural thing in the world. And I walk in, I don't know where the bathrooms are. When the kids were little, I didn't know where the nursery was. I didn't even know where the service was, which right. direction do I go? And one friendly face that I feel free to ask those questions of made all the difference. I agree. Would you like to sit with me? Mm. You have a place to sit. Come sit with us. That's so rare that I can't even remember the last time it happened, but it right. means a lot. So let's back up to what Dave said, but this takes training. People want to be yeah. used of God, but it has to be intentional by the leadership to train the people to do this, right? Absolutely. It is not something that comes naturally. I did this little seminar in a church in Michigan some years ago, and a guy came to me and he said, hey, Brother Dave, uh, I work for IBM, and every year, they bring in these presenters. They spend two whole days. They pay them 35, 40 grand. And they try to teach us what you just taught us in 30 minutes. Amen. So that yeah. revealed to me that even folks, they love folks and they care about them, but they're just shy. They're self-focused. Sure. They say we have a friendly church, which means I come to church every Sunday and talk to the same friends because they're my go. friends. Yep. Yep. All right, so have any of the needs that you have seen, and Claudia, please come in as well. We're recording this in, in 2022, so we're post-COVID, and you're still out, you're still in churches. Have you seen any needs or problems either magnified or come to the surface in the church world now versus pre-COVID? Well, the number one is obvious. Surely you've discussed this. Pastors tell us this. They say, there are a number of families that got so used to being at home that they are not coming back to church and they could come back to church. And frankly, I have mixed emotions about our wonderful technology. When I stand up and preach the word, I just assume preach to the sheep right in front of me right. than the uh, folks that are out in uh, Cyberland. We need to do that. It's a helpful folks that are shut in. It's a blessing. But that's what's happened. There are folks that need to be challenged. Pray for them. Don't condemn them. Love them. Say, folks, we miss you. 
You know, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling. The assembling is for a purpose. Right. So we can rub shoulders. And so that's really the number one I've seen from COVID. Other than that, I've seen some great results from COVID. Okay. Folks have gotten new ministries and yeah. Yeah. Uh, increased in biblical giving because they think nobody else is going to give, so I have to do it. So there's been some good things. All right. People uh, spread apart more. You know, we sit farther apart in the pews. <laughs> and this auditory is 150, and there's 30 of us in there, and we're sitting on, sure. everybody has their own pew. And I think maybe some of that, we're getting conditioned to not get in each other's spaces, which I guess is not bad, but it's a new thing, I think. We don't share pews easily. Right. We don't always shake hands or hug. I miss that. Sure. All right, let's shift gears. Again, you have been in literally hundreds of churches in your ministry. You've planted two, you've pastored, you've been an evangelist, and now really you're, you're kind of a help to churches and have been for a number of years, you know, with your press on ministry. Yes. So let's shift to the pastor's family, all right? Because you and Claudia do a lot of just one-on-one meetings with pastors and their wives. What would be, and Dave will ask you and then ask Claudia to comment, or give her own view on this. So what would be one thing, Dave, if you got, if you're talking to a pastor and you see a common theme of discouragement, what would that probably be? And what's the biblical solution for that? The pastor or the pastor's family. Practically speaking from communication we've had even in the last three or four months is that um, pastors are discouraged because there is in this culture a great lack of respect for authority. And I think that's filtered down into the lives of believers who are very quick to condemn the pastor, whether he's new or old, condemn his wife. And that indeed can be devastating for a pastor. Uh, now, I want to give most of the time to Claudia because really the heart of the pastor is going to be the wife. Yeah, And it's amazing how many problems that uh, she comes up against with pastor's wives. So, Claudia? I could just make this statement up front that I very rarely meet a really happy pastor's wife. Um, They're often, I I have a very vivid memory of entering a church building and people look very, it looks successful. The building was full, busy, people were active. And I just met the pastor's wife that I knew as a friend. And I met her in the center aisle just five minutes before the service. And I said, I said, how are you doing? I pray for you. I know sometimes things can get tough and big tears just gushed down her face. And she said, Claudia, people have no idea. Yeah. And then we our separate ways. And that, that was a vivid example, but that's pretty common. I can visit a church where pastor's wife looks really happy. I'll offer my email and say, if you ever need me to pray for you, send me a message. And I get, I hear from them. And then I hear tearful, please. What do I do? How do I handle this? I hurt. Now, Claudia, is that because mainly this, I'm just following up here. So that would be because she feels lonely. She feels her husband's under attack. She feels her kids are in a fishbowl. I mean, is there, or is it all of those or? All of those. And I don't think those are new problems. I think they've always been part of the pastor's life. Partly it's the misunderstanding of people in the church of her role. Yeah. You know, she just her husband's wife scripturally. There is no set of job description for a pastor's wife, but if you have a hundred members, you have a hundred different job descriptions and you never know what they expect of you until you fail them. And then you hear about it. Yeah. And then they blame you because you commented on it and you, you know, whatever. Right. 
fill in the so blank. So pastor's wives, I know. In fact, one time I sent out this real quick email to many of my friends in ministry, and I just asked this question off the cuff. I said, what is your dominant emotion related to ministry? What do you? How do you feel when you think about ministry? And a huge number was fear. Fear was the one, number one, by far. Right, so, afraid of not measuring up to expectations, afraid so, of failure, afraid of not being all people expect them to be. And that's a prison, you know, and if you live in fear, every every service is an emotional risk. And then you hold yourself responsible for spiritual decisions other people make. And that's an awful way to live. Let's park right there. So that's the problem. So what is your normal? I mean, I know every situation is going to be a little bit different. Okay. But what is your biblical solution for the typical pastor's wife living in the fear of man, making sure, you know, who knows her children, making not, sure everybody's happy and her children are perfect and exactly. everybody loves so, her husband and he never makes a mistake. And yeah. So how do you counsel uh, this, this pastor's wife? <laughs> I basically tell her, you can't control this. All you can control is your only walk with God. That's it. But that's the key. Because if I fear God and I spend time in his word, keep my nose stuck in the book and I wallow in it, I will fear him and not fear people. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way I know to serve God is to serve people. All right, and so, so I go to church right. and I serve people because I love God. I'm not right. serving because I'm afraid of them. All right, so a pastor's wife has gotten to the point of total discouragement. She's trying to get into the Word. Okay, she's listening to you right now. And she says, okay, I know I have not been in the Word like I should. And let's say she is spiritually going through a dry season. Claudia, where would you even tell her to start in the Word? Would you start in Psalms? Where would you point her to go to the Word, to to reengage her heart with the Word of God through the Spirit of God? I would do just what you said. In fact, I told uh, a miserable pastor's wife yesterday, just wallow in the Psalms mm, okay, um, and, and pray them out loud to God. Uh, my practice, which I love to do, is that I journal what I read. Mm. I'm writing the Claudia Arthurized version. You know, I'm writing <laughs> yeah. words yeah. in my own mm. words to God, and I am saying them to him. And one of my sister calls it showing God his handwriting. Mm. This is what you said. And this is the promise I claim. Um, you have to avoid the imprecatory psalms because you can find yourself <laughs> calling rather than very quickly. Yes, yeah. but you know, yeah. and, and I appreciate you saying that because I know during personal challenges, whether it be physical or spiritual, whatever we have, one of the greatest things I've done is just get on your knees or either take cards and go for a walk and pray the psalms, pray verses, pray passages back to God. And I think even, you know, you would not want me. And in fact, in the third grade or fourth grade, I was the only boy not selected for the boys' chorus. Okay. See, that shows you how much I sing. So anyway, but even on those walks after that, I can sing a song. You know, I can I can celebrate that. Now, Claudia, obviously ladies are listening. So you'd be available for an email from a discussion. Oh, yes. Okay. I told David yesterday, I wish in my early days in ministry I had had me. I hope that doesn't sound proud, but I had my mother and both my sisters who were pastor's wives and they understood, but they were not objective. Mm. And I, I wish so often I could have had someone outside our own ministry 
that I could go to and get an honest evaluation of how much of this problem was mine and how much right. of it was other people and give me scriptural, godly, mature answers. Along the way, the Lord gave me those people here and there, but no consistently. So if I can ever fill that role for anyone else, I am thrilled to do it. And I give my email address out many places. It's the, the letter C, Barba at ipresson.com. And it'll be in the show notes. Okay. It'll be there so they can. And I also tell, you know, I, I would send sometimes a message to my mother or sister and then in the subject line would say, please delete after reading. <laughs> <laughs> and one time I got one from my sister that said, please delete before reading. And even sometimes I will find the, the women who write me giving me the answers <laughs> that I would have given them. They're in their problem email. They, they right. know the answers. It's not that, that they don't know how to handle it. They just need a sister who says, this is normal. Um, right. it, it's what we all go through. It's okay. You they will live. Yeah, there is a friend. a friend. That's it, a sister. Mm-hmm. And that was that is the core of the book, actually, the Monday Morning Club. Okay. So you can read it, but more importantly, sometimes you need somebody to talk to that's not in the church and not a relative. And and so I just want to challenge, number one, pastors, if you see your wife in this state, reach out to Dave and reach out to Claudia. Often often the husband's not the best one to help. No, no, that's what I was going to say. Husbands, we don't need to lecture. We don't, your wife does not need a sermon for you. She needs a friend that understands. So that's exactly where I was going so husband, pastors, don't try to preach your wife into being in a good state spiritually. Let another, Titus 2, this is the model, older women ministering to younger women. So let's stay with so the biblical. Yeah. yeah, so let's stay with that biblical model. Okay, go ahead, Claudia, i cut you off. You going to say anything else? No, but often my help doesn't come from another pastor's wife. It comes from just a godly older woman. There you go, yeah. Um, and I find if I ask questions and listen, I will discover that that godly older woman is nearly always someone who has suffered and her suffering has softened her so that she understands my needs, whether they're ministry related or personal related. She, she understands and I seek them out. And I, if I can be that person to anyone else, I want to be, and I do know how to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) I'm I'm a safe person. I hope Okay. I want to be anyway. All right. In closing, man, there's so much more we could talk through that we'll do it another time. But um, I have one one last question that if God allowed y'all to reboot and start all over again, Dave, I'll start with you and then Claudia, I'll let you wrap it up. So Dave, if you had the opportunity to start all over as a pastor or, you know, in your calling and obedience to God, what would you do differently? No, I would not remove any of the trials, tribulations, opposition uh, that I faced in the early days in the first church we planted. I would not take that away. I'm thankful for all of it. I'm grateful for the trials, the opposition. Of course, that's not going to end until we see the Lord, the battle of the flesh. So I wouldn't change that. Uh, I I really can't think of anything I would do differently. I mean, I've stumbled through life. Uh, certainly not knowing that much about what I'm doing, but I've always been willing and anxious to learn new things and to borrow brains. Dr. Bob Sr. said so many years ago, borrow brains. Find somebody that you trust, that 
looks like they actually know what they're doing and just ask them. Amen. And, you know, in addition to that, I must say, I'd love to have another life. If I had a whole nother life, I think I'd probably go to the mission. I love the mission field. We preached on a number of missions, deals, Russian, Hungary, and whatever. And uh, every time I read a mission biography or talk to a missionary, I wonder if I go there. I'd love to do that. So that's if I had another life. When I'm reincarnated, that's me. <laughs> yep, I see the emails coming in right now. Who did you have on your <laughs> podcast? Who is this guy? <laughs> Okay, Claudia, you got the last word. What would you do oh, differently? Brother, okay, uh, well, I think the, what I would do is sit in the pew with the understanding that I answer only for myself. Amen. That the number of people at church is not my responsibility. That the decisions they make are not my responsibility. I do the best I can. I'm just a person. And that someday I will stand before one master and give account to him. Amen. And I will do the best I could again, I hope, to keep my heart warm toward him and always obedient. Amen. Okay. Amen. Great way I to end it. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, Dave and Claudia, I press own.com. All that will be in the show notes. Thank you so much. I know this has spurred a lot of thinking, and I'm sure I'll get some emails from people wanting to hear y'all discuss another topic. So, at that time, we'll get you back on and do another podcast. How's that? All right. Hey, thanks for your faithfulness. Okay. Amen. God bless. All right. Press Bye-bye. on. Yep. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.